Section 31 of the Underground Railroad, Part 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. The Underground Railroad, Part 4, by William Still. Section 31. Arrival of 15 from Norfolk, Virginia. Her schooner twice searched, landed at League Island. Isaac Foreman, Henry Williams, William Seymour, Harriet Taylor, Mary Bird, Mrs. Louis, Sarah Saunders, Sophia Gray, Henry Gray, Mary Gray, Winfield Scott, and three children. About the 4th of July, 1856, a message reached the secretary that a schooner containing fifteen underground railroad passengers from norfolk virginia would be landed near league island directly at the foot of broad street that evening at a late hour and a request accompanied the message to the effect that the committee would be on hand to receive them accordingly the secretary procured three carriages with trustworthy drivers and between ten and eleven o'clock at night arrived on the banks of the Schuylkill, where all was quiet as a country graveyard. The moon was shining, and soon the mast of a schooner was discovered. No sign of any other vessel was then in sight. On approaching the bank, in the direction of the discovered mast, the schooner was also discovered. The hearts of those on board were swelling with unutterable joy, yet even at that dead hour of night, far away from all appearance of foes, no one felt at liberty to give vent to his feelings other than in a whisper. The name of the captain and schooner being at once recognized, the first impulse was to jump down on the deck. Upon second view it was seen that the descent was too great to admit of such a feat. In a moment we concluded that we could pull them up the embankment from the deck by taking hold of their hands as they stood on tiptoe one after another was pulled up and warmly greeted until it came the turn of a large object weighing about two hundred and sixty pounds full large enough to make two ordinary women the captain who had experienced much inconvenience with her on the voyage owing to the space she required chuckled over the fact that the committee would have their hands full for once poor mrs walker however stretched out her large arms we seized her hands vigorously the captain laughing heartily as did the other passengers at the tug now being made we pulled with a will but mrs walker remained on the deck a one horsepower was needed the pullers took breath and again took hold this time calling upon the captain to lay to a helping hand the captain prepared to do so and as she was being raised he having a good foothold placed himself in a position for pushing to the full extent of his powers and thus she was safely landed all being placed in the carriages they were driven to the station and comfortably provided for on the voyage they had encountered more than the usual dangers indeed troubles began with them before they had set sail from norfolk the first indication of danger manifested itself as they stood on the bank of the river awaiting the arrival of a small boat which had been engaged to row them to the schooner although they had sought as they supposed a safe place sufficiently far from the bounds usually traversed by the police 
still in the darkness they imagined they heard watchmen coming just on the edge of the river opposite where they were waiting a boat under repairs was in the stocks in order to evade the advancing foe they all marched into the river the water being shallow and with the vessel for a breastwork hiding them from the shore there they remained for an hour and a half they were thoroughly soaked if nothing more however about ten o'clock a small oyster boat came to their relief and all were soon placed aboard the schooner which was loaded with corn etc all with the exception of the large woman above referred to and one other female were required to enter a hole apparently leading through the bottom of the boat but in reality only a department which had been expressly constructed for the underground railroad business at the expense of the captain and in accordance with his own plan the entrance was not sufficiently large to admit mrs walker so she with another female who was thought too fat to endure the close confinement was secreted behind some corn back of the cabin a place so secluded that none save well-experienced searchers would be likely to find it in this way the captain put out to sea after some fifteen hours he deemed it safe to bring his passengers up on deck where they could inhale pure air which was greatly needed as they had been next door to suffocation and death the change of air had such an effect on one of the passengers scott that in his excitement he refused to conform to the orders required for prudential reasons the captain threatened to throw him overboard whereupon scott lowered his tone before reaching the lock the captain supposing that they might be in danger from contact with boats men etc again called upon them to go into their hole under the deck not even the big woman was excused now she pleaded that she could not get through her fellow sufferers said that she must be got through urging the matter on the ground that they would have great danger to face the big woman again tried to effect an entrance but in vain said one of the more resolute sisters she must take off her clothes then it will never do to have her staying up on deck to betray all the rest thus this resolute stand being unanimous the poor woman had to comply and except a single garment she was as destitute of raiment as was mother eve before she induced adam to eat of the forbidden fruit in the garden of eden with the help of passengers below she was squeezed through but not without bruising and breaking the skin considerably where the rub was severest all were now beneath the deck the well-fitting oilcloth was put over the hole covering the cabin floor snugly and a heavy table was set over the hole they are within sight of the lock but no human beings are visible about the schooner save the captain the mate and a small boy the son of the captain at the lock not unexpectedly three officers came on board of the boat and stopped her the captain was told that they had received a telegraphic dispatch from norfolk to the effect that his boat was suspected of having slaves secreted thereon they talked with the captain and mate separately for a considerable while and more closely did they examine the boy but gained no information except that the yellow fever had been raging very bad in norfolk at this fever news the officers were not a little alarmed and they now lost no time in attending to their official errand 
they searched the cabin where the two fat women were first secreted and other parts of the boat pretty thoroughly they then commenced taking up the hatchways but the place seemed so shockingly perfumed with foul air that the men started back and declared that nobody could live in such a place and swore that it smelt like the yellow fever the captain laughed at them and signified that they were perfectly welcome to search to their heart's content the officers concluded that there were no slaves on that boat that nobody could live there etc etc asked for their charges three dollars and discharged the captain the children had been put under the influence of liquor to keep them still so they made no noise the others endured their hour of agony patiently until the lock was safely passed and the river reached fresh air was then allowed them and the great danger was considered overcome the captain however far from deeming it advisable to land his live cargo at the wharves of philadelphia delivered them at league island the passengers testified that captain b was very kind they were noticed thus isaac who was about fifty years of age dark tall well-made intelligent and was owned by george brown who resided at deep creek isaac testified that said brown had invariably treated him cruelly for thirty years isaac had hired his time found himself in food clothing and everything yet as he advanced in years neither his task nor his hire was diminished but on the contrary his hire of late years had been increased he winced under the pressure and gave himself up to the study of the underground railroad while arrangements for fleeing were pending he broke the secret to his wife polly in whom he trusted she being true to freedom although sorrowing to part with him threw no obstacle in his way besides his wife he had also two daughters amanda a and mary jane both slaves nevertheless having made up his mind not to die a slave he resolved to escape at all hazards henderson belonged to the estate of a briggs which was about to be settled and knowing that he was accounted on the inventory as personal property he saw that he too would be sold with the rest of the movables if he was not found among the missing he began to consider what he had endured as a slave and came to the conclusion that he had had a rugged road to hoe all the way along and that he might have it much worse if he waited to be sold the voice of reason admonished him to escape for his life in obeying this call he suffered the loss of his wife julia and two children who were fortunately free henderson was about thirty-one years of age stout and of healthy appearance worth in cash perhaps twelve hundred dollars william was thirty-four years of age of a chestnut color substantial physical structure and of good faculties the man who professed to own him he called william taylor and he was a very hard man one of the kind which could not be pleased nor give a slave a pleasant answer one time in fifty being thoroughly sick of william taylor he fell in love with the underground railroad and canada mrs walker the big fat woman was thirty-eight years of age and a pleasant-looking person of a very dark hue besides the struggles already alluded to she was obliged to leave her husband 
Of her master she declared that she could say nothing good. His name was Arthur Cooper of Georgetown. She had never lived with him, however. For twenty years she had hired her time, paying five dollars per month. When young, she scarcely thought of the gross wrongs that were heaped upon her. But as she grew older and thought more about her condition, she scouted the idea that God had designed her to be a slave, and decided that she would be one to leave Dixie in the first underground railroad train that might afford her the chance. She determined not to remain even for the sake of her husband, who was a slave. With such a will, therefore, she started. Upon leaving Philadelphia, she went with most of her company to Boston, and thence to New Bedford, where she was living when last heard from. Rebecca Louis was the wife of a man who was familiarly known by the name of Bluebeard, his proper name being Henry Louis. For a long time, although a slave himself, he was one of the most dexterous managers in the Underground Railroad Agency in Norfolk. No single chapter in this work could be more interesting than a chapter of his exploits in this respect. The appearing of Mrs. Louis was a matter of unusual interest. Although she had worn the yoke, she was gentle in her manners, and healthy-looking, so much so that no life insurance agent would have had need to subject her to medical examination before insuring her. She was twenty-eight years of age, but had never known personal abuse as a slave. She was none the less anxious, however, to secure her freedom. Her husband, Bluebeard, judging from certain signs that he was suspected by slaveholders, and might at any time be caged, indeed he had recently been in the lion's den but got out in order to save his wife sent her on in advance as he had decided to follow her soon in a similar manner rebecca was not without hope of again meeting her husband this desire was gratified before many months had passed as he was fortunate enough to make his way to canada mary knight was a single woman twenty-six years of age dark stout and of pleasing manners she complained of having been used hard sarah saunders had been claimed as the property of richard gatewood a clerk in the naval service according to sarah he was a very clever slaveholder and had never abused her nor was she aware that he had ever treated any of his servants cruelly sarah however had not lived in gatewood's immediate family but had been allowed to remain with her grandmother, rather as a privileged character. She was young, fair, and prepossessing. Having a sister living in Philadelphia, who was known to the agent in Norfolk, Sarah was asked one day if she would not like to see her sister. She at once answered yes. After further conversation, the agent told her that if she would keep the matter entirely private, he would arrange for her to go by the Underground Railroad being willing and anxious to go she promised due obedience to the rules she was not told however how much she would have to pass through on the way else according to her own admission she never would have come as she did her heart would have failed her but when the goal was gained like all the others she soon forgot her sufferings and rejoiced heartily at getting out of slavery even though her condition had not been so bad as that of many others Sophia Gray, with her son and daughter, Henry and Mary, was from Portsmouth. The mother was a tall yellow woman with well-cut features, about thirty-three years of age, 
with manners indicative of more than ordinary intelligence. The son and daughter were between twelve and fourteen years of age, well-developed for their age, modest, and finely formed mulattoes. All the material necessary for a story of great interest might have readily been found in the story of the mother and her children. They were sent with others to New Bedford, Massachusetts. It was not long after being in New Bedford, before the boy was put to a trade, and the daughter was sent to Boston, where she had an aunt, a fugitive, living in the family of the Honorable George S. Hilliard. Mr. and Mrs. Hilliard were so impressed by Mary's intelligent countenance, and her appearance generally, that they decided that she must have a chance for an education, and opened their hearts and home to her. On a visit to Boston in 1859, the writer found Mary at Mr. Hilliard's, and in an article written for the anti-slavery standard upon the condition of fugitive slaves in Boston and New Bedford, allusion was made particularly to her and several others under this hospitable roof in the following paragraph on arriving in boston the first persons i had the pleasure to converse with were four or five uncommonly interesting underground railroad passengers who had only been out of bondage between three and five years their intelligent appearance contradicted the idea that they had ever been an hour in slavery or a mile on the underground railroad two of them were filling trustworthy posts where they were respected and well paid for their services two others were young people one two and the other three years out of slavery a girl of fifteen and a boy of twelve whose interesting appearance induced a noble-hearted anti-slavery lady to receive them into her own family expressly to educate them and thus almost ever since their arrival they have been enjoying this lady's kindness as well as the excellent equal free school privileges of boston the girl in the grammar school chiefly composed of whites has already distinguished herself having received a diploma with an excellent certificate of character and the boy naturally very apt has made astonishing progress the boy of twelve alluded to was not mary's brother he was quite a genius of his age who had escaped from norfolk stowed away in a schooner and was known by the name of dick page on arriving in philadelphia dick was delivered as usual into the hands of the committee the extraordinary smartness of the little fellow only ten years old astonished all who saw him the sympathies of a kind-hearted gentleman and his wife living in philadelphia had been deeply awakened in his behalf through their relative and friend mrs hilliard in whose family as has been already stated the boy's aunt lived so much were these friends interested to secure dick's freedom that they often contemplated buying him although they did not like the idea of buying as the money would go into the pocket of the master who they considered had no just right to deprive any individual of his freedom so when dick arrived the committee felt that it was as little as they could do to give these friends the pleasure of seeing the little underground railroad passenger he was therefore conveyed to the residence of professor j p leslie he could not have been sent to a house in the great city of brotherly love where he would have found a more cordial and sincere reception after passing an hour or so with them dick was brought away but he had been so touched by their kindness that he felt that he must see them again before leaving the city 
So, just before sundown one evening, he was missed. Search was made for him, but in vain. Great anxiety was felt for him, fearing that he was lost. During the early part of the evening, the writer, with a bell in hand, passed up one street and down another, in quest of the stranger, but no one could give any information of him. Finally, about ten o'clock, the mayor's office was visited, with a view of having the police stations telegraphed. Soon the mystery was solved. One of the policemen stated that he had noticed a strange colored boy with Professor Leslie's children. Hastening to the residence of the professor, sure enough, Dick was there, happy in bed and asleep. From that time to this, it has been a mystery to know how a boy, a perfect stranger, could make his way alone, having passed over the route but once, without getting lost. So circuitous was the road that he had to travel in order to reach Professor Leslie's house. Having said this much, the way is now open to refer to him again. In Boston, at school, he was generously assisted through his education and trade, and was prepared to commence life at his majority, an intelligent mechanic and a man of promise. End of section 31